I've not seen you, some of you, since the new year started. Uh, I want to say, man, did, did, didn't Cheyenne and Chris do great job the past two weeks in leading us in worship? Uh, I was here in worship, and wow, I'm just in awe of the talent that God has surrounded us with and the joy that I get to work alongside people such as this and see them flourish and blossom and be successful in life. Uh, it's a joy uh, to see that happening. And we're glad that you're here. We're starting the new message series uh, this week, and you probably already heard that. And just so you know that if you do do the check-in thing and you do this for six weeks, at the end of the six weeks, we're going to draw somebody's name out, some family's name out, and you're going to get prime parking. <laughs> we know parking is a commodity. You get prime parking for a while. And not only that, somebody, we're going to take, you get a night out on the town on us, okay? So you keep doing that. Who knows? Your, name, your crazy family may have a crazy night out. It may be awesome, okay? So we're going to start off with a, a scripture I want you to memorize. We're going to put it on the screen. It's from Colossians 1. Verse 17. Here's what it is. It says, we used this a couple weeks before Christmas. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Could you please say that with me? It's on the screen. True words. Those online, say it with me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, he is Jesus. Jesus is before all things. And in him, all things, including your family. I'm going to repeat that. Including your family. In him, your family, crazy as it is, can hold together. God, so we begin this message series, this, this next six weeks, God, dedicating all of our worship, everything we do here in this place, all to you. And we're asking you to be in the center and to hold some things together. Because, God, there are some of us uh, families, we need some help. We really do. And, God, we know that when you're in the center, it changes all of our relationships. It changes how we date. It changes who we date. It changes who we marry and how we marry. It changes, God, our friendships. When you're in the center, God, it changes how we parent. It changes how we grandparent. And God, some of us here are confessing we need some changes in our family because the crazy is driving us crazy. And there's some families here, God, that are under a lot of pressure. And they're needing some relief because the tensions are high and the stress is off the chart. And so, God, for the next six weeks, particularly in this area, we're going to be the students and we ask you to be the teacher. And we'll try to practice what you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to kind of think about it in your own life. And here's the question. How deep do family feelings run? How deep do your family feelings run? Uh, several years ago, there was a book that became a movie. I'm sure many of you have seen it called 127 Hours. A young man named Eric Ralston, who was a Mountain climber, he's in Utah all by himself hiking, and a boulder shifts, and it pins his arm, and it crushes his arm. And so for six days, he's trying to remove himself from that situation to be free to no success. And so he begins to prepare himself to die. He changes his thinking, hey, I'm getting ready to die. And so he starts thinking about his sister and how she's going to feel when she hears the news of his death. 
Then he starts reflecting upon his mom and dad. And boy, boy, just how it's going to hurt them because their family was so close when he dies and they hear of it. And, and thinking about all this emboldens him to do something that's just unfathomable is that he found a pocket knife and he actually cuts off his arm to free himself from the boulder with no pain medication, none, so he could stumble out of that cave and walk around hoping somebody would find him and rescue him and reconnect him with his family. So let me ask you again, how deep do your family feelings run? Would you cut off your arm to see your family one more time? Before Dallas and I moved to Burleson, we lived in Odessa, there, there was a man in our church there who just touched something and it turned to gold. He was a money-making machine. Whether it was oil or mobile homes or banks or construction, if he touched it, if he bought it, it just magically turned into money. And he was very generous with his money, with the church and with his friends, and I was one of his friends. He had a gym in his home. And on Tuesday nights, he invited me and some other guys, we'd go and play gym, play basketball on Tuesday nights. And it was just a blast. I'm in our own little private gym. We're playing, and he tells me, he says, hey, Rick, I've been diagnosed with a, with a pretty critical illness, and it turns out he's going to die if he doesn't have surgery. And even with the surgery, 25% chance of survival. Uh, would you come and pray with me, my family, before the surgery? I said, sure, I'll be there. And so uh, I go, we pray. He asked me to come over before they will him out to do the surgery, and he kinda, I kind of leaned down. He says, listen, uh, I would give my entire fortune away. And at this point, it was hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, he was a multimillionaire. He said, I, I would give it all away if I could just have 30 more days with my family. How deep do family feelings run? Jesus is on the cross. He's hanging between heaven and hell. He's dying for the sins of the world. He's suffering. He sees his own mother. He sees fear in the eyes of his mom. He sees his best friend, John. He says, John, he's dying. He says, John, will you take care of my mom? How deep do family feelings run? In your message notes, family feelings run deep. This is the premise for this whole series, in both directions. You know this. Family feelings run deep in both directions. When your family is functioning according to how this book is designed, the joy you can know in your family is indescribable. I will tell you over the holidays, Christmas and New Year's, there were a couple of moments where all of our family is gathered at our house, or my, our sons and their wives and our little granddaughter. And there were moments I would just turn to Dallas and go, babe, I wish time could stop. It doesn't get any better than this right here. I mean, sometimes family, it just feels like a heaven moment. You go, whoa, this is it. But we also know it doesn't stay that way. That family feelings run both directions. And in the family, when there's anger that's just raging, when there's runaway ambition by someone in the family, when there's abuse, when there's betrayal, when there's addiction, when there's yelling and screaming and prolific cussing and slamming of doors and dysfunction, 
the destruction that can be done to the human psyche and the human soul of a human being is enormous because of the family. And we all know these family feelings, they run deep in both directions. And it can drive you crazy sometimes. So we're going to do a little therapy here this morning. Therapy always begins by just acknowledging and that you need help. So I want you to turn to somebody behind you, around you, and just say, my family's crazy. Just tell them. Just admit it. <laughs> just go ahead and say, say it out loud. You'll feel better online. You'll feel better just for saying it. And some of you are going, I know. And it's all because of you, right? So I can tell some of you already, you can go home now. You just feel better. Okay. Just getting it out there. And before God, it just helps, right? It just helps. So we're going to talk about a subject matter this morning uh, that I hope is going to help you a little bit, regardless where you are in your life. We're going to talk about parenting. And for some of you, you're going to say, well, that doesn't matter to me because I'm not a parent yet, or I'm never going to be a parent. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm past that stage, and some of you are, I'm well. I'm just going to say that I'm hoping that wherever you are, you're going to receive something that's going to help you understand you, because everyone had a parent sometime. And maybe you're not a parent now. Or maybe you're a parent with empty nest. But I'm just going to ask you to be open for God to teach you something to help you understand why your family's so crazy and maybe why you are the way you are and maybe some changes you actually want to make in how your family functions and how it works. Okay. Now, family systems and psychology. I've been doing a lot of research and reading here, getting ready for this message series. And here's what they're saying. Dan Allender, this child psychologist, and he's a strong Christian, agrees with all family systems and networks. It says that a child at a very early age starts asking two questions inside of themselves. Here's the first question a child asks, am I loved? The second one is, can I do whatever I want to do? This is every child, every human being when they're born. Now the job of a parent or grandparent is to answer those questions clearly as early as you can in a child's life. Yes, you are loved. No, <laughs> you cannot do whatever that you want. Now, first thing in your message notes, deepest desire of every human being and of every child is to know that they are irrationally loved. And I want to put emphasis on the word irrationally, not unconditionally, irrationally. A love that makes no sense, a love you, you cannot wrap your head around a love that has no logic. Every human being needs to know that, every child especially. The Scripture tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. It's irrational. And it goes on down that Scripture in chapter 4 of saying, and we rely on that love that it is true. And everybody, every child needs it. Every child needs to know that, not just that they're warmly appreciated in the family, not just that they're, they're, they're greatly accepted by the family, not just that they're barely tolerated by the family. Every child needs to know in the home they are irrationally loved. Now, I know that I'm an anomaly my life, my, my, my sisters and I in our household, especially in the generation, the time frame in which I was born. It's a rarity that we were born, I was born in a home 
where our mom and dad, my mom and parents, made sure that we knew our whole life that we were and are irrationally loved. And I know that is not the norm. Because I know there are many of you in this room, watching online, true words. But I know that many of you, that's not your experience. I know that because we gather for funerals and prepare for and hear stories. I've heard so many people say this. Grown men and women, my age, older, a little bit younger, some say, I don't have a single memory of my dad telling me that he loved me. There are some of you who will say, I don't have a single memory of my dad or a parent hugging me, pulling me close, letting, sinking in, and letting me feel the warmth of their affection. Not a single memory. If this is you, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I wish I could go back and change your family tree and your family experience. But if this is you, you have a choice to make, especially men, especially men. You have a choice to make. Everyone does, but especially men. Here's your choice. You can choose. You know what? My kids, my grandkids, I, I, didn't get, I never heard a bunch of I love yous growing up. I never had a lot of warm hugs and warm fuzzies. I'm not going to break my back trying to learn how to do that now. I figured it out. I turned out okay. My kids, they just got to figure it out on their own too. If you want to, please listen carefully. I'm being nice. If you want to, you can be that jerk. Or you can be the dad. Or you can be the mom who says, it's not about me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to learn about what my son, my daughter, my grandchild needs. I'm going to step out this worship space, and I'm going to go to the ministry spotlight. I'm going to go to the next steps, and I'm going to get in a recovery class, or I'm going to get information and material, and I'm going to learn what the kid in my life really needs, and I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get better. I'm not going to wait on them to get better. I'm going to get better. And I'm going to learn how to say I love you. I'm going to learn how to hug them close and let it be comfortable and not stiff and all that. And I promise you, if you practice that, men, it will come to be normal, but you got to try. you got to do the work. For the sake of your kids and your grandkids. Because I had that experience growing up, it was very natural and easy for me. I know it's not easy for some of you. I, I get that. I get that. I do. But it was very natural for me because it's what my dad did. It was my responsibility to get our kids down at night. I was the last one to be come and speak to all three of our boys. And I would go lay down next to them. And I would tell them a story. I would read them a book. And then I would pray over them. And I would pray over each one of them individually. If you tell me, dads or moms or anybody, particularly the dads, if you tell me that you're too busy or you're too proud to go lay down by your children or your grandkids at night and just spend some time with them and tell them a story or pray over them, I will tell you that you're too busy or you're too proud or you're too selfish to figure it out and learn because it's not about you. Your kids did not ask to have you as parents or grandparents. They didn't ask, and they need it. 
They crave it. And then after I did that, I would, I would just sit on the side of the bed with them. And sometimes I'd rub their little arms or I'd run my fingers through their hair. And I would say, James, if I could line up all the little boys in the world and just pick one, I would choose you. Now, Jacob is in the top bunk. They would share a room. He would say, Dad, what about me? <laughs> I'd climb up there on the top bunk, and I would say, Jacob, if, it was all, if I could line up all the little boys in the world and I could only choose one, I would choose you. And James is down there going, what, Dad? But it didn't matter. They didn't question it because they just knew that they were chosen, that they had the blessing, they had the love. And then I would walk into Justin's room. He was older. He had his own room. And I would say, Justin, Man, son, after I got, you're my favorite oldest son. He, oh, yeah. Church, I'm telling you, some of you, that sounds corny to some of you. It sounds a little hokey. I'm telling you, kids remember that stuff. Kids remember when you do it and they know that you didn't do it because some of you don't remember your parents doing it and you're paying the price now as an adult and knowing how to be a mom or dad. But when you do it, there's a dividend that comes back. I'm telling you, it's huge. You know, Justin, our oldest, when he was four or five, uh, there were no such thing as car seat laws. I mean, when you got in the car with the kid, you could put him on the dashboard if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, you just throw him in the floorboard and say, hey, just take a nap down there while we're going on to see Grandma or something. You know, there was none of that stuff. And so, so often, I would take Justin in, in this little car that we had, and I would fold down the little seat. He would sit next to me up on this little thing and help me drive. And I'd put my arm around him as a seatbelt. I'm driving. He said, don't, don't do this. You'll go to jail now. And, he, <laughs> you know, and I'd be driving just like this. And he would play with my sunglasses while I'm driving. i said, say, kid, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. Hey, and he'd just keep doing it. Take them off, put them on him, put them on me. I said, listen, if you keep doing this, I'm going to pull over and I'm going to leave you on the side of the road. And he would say, oh, dad, you wouldn't last five minutes without me. And I thought, you know, he's getting it. He knows that I love him. It's sinking in. All the research shows, all the research, that if at least one parent is consistent, the key is consistent, in a child receiving the communication, they're irrationally loved. The chances are very unlikely they will have deep psychological problems. It's that simple. You want to do something in the world about all the shootings and the mental health issues? You want to do your part? Make sure that every child in your family tree knows they're irrationally loved. Second thing, every child needs boundaries and limits. Now, the scripture's clear. In every child and every human being, there's this streak of selfishness. Theologically, it's called depravity. Say depravity. depravity. That in your little bundle of joy, there is this gravitational pull that pulls a child to do stupid, terrible, rebellious, weird, gosh awful stuff. And you scratch your head and go, Really? It's called sin. It's called depravity. 
The scripture puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Folly, that is foolishness or depravity, is in every child, every human being. And it's the job of the parent to drive that stuff far away through discipline. I wonder how many of you really believe in this thing called depravity, and it's in your kids. I mean, really believe it. When I was in the, uh, I guess, 50, just turned 16, uh, sophomore, summer of my, before my junior year, my parents were going away on first vacation, and I got to stay at home by myself. I begged and begged and begged. I had a girlfriend to stay home. And they said, Rick, you can stay home. Finally, they all agreed. had a family meeting, but... My dad said, you cannot take out my car. Got it. Dad leaves, goes out of town. Friend comes over and says, let's take out your dad's car. And I said, no. He said, we can't. He'll never know. I said, okay, let's take it out. <laughs> so we took it out. First time I tried to pull it into the garage, scraped that sucker right off the side. I mean, just, I mean, just knocked off the handlebar. I mean, the, the, the bar on the, open the door, the handle, and just all scrapped up. And guess what? When he came home, he knew. <laughs> he looked at me and said, I told you not to do it. Why? I don't know. Stupid stuff, Dad. Depravity. Sin. I don't know. I mean, I just, I mean it's in every kid. You just do stupid stuff. I mean, even older kids. I'm a youth pastor in Wichita Falls, and I'm a overseeing a camp and have all these camp leaders out there. And we're talking about physical health, about the kids and the students and having strong, healthy habits, practicing habits. And there was one of the youth sponsors, 20 years of age, wants his, his, his cabin to bond. So he takes them out and gives every one of them a cigar. <laughs> they get caught out at night smoking a cigar. Later on, I pulled the guy into my office. I said, dude, what were you thinking? He said, I don't know. <laughs> Depravity, stupid, sin, brokenness. I mean, it's in all of us at every age. It's just there. All three of our kids, I taught all three of my boys how to help me wash the car. That was their first experience, helping wash the car. That's kind of how you learn some stuff, do some things around the house. And James, who was the easiest of all three of ours to raise, he was the most simple. I could just look at him. He'd say, okay. And that was it. So he's he, out there young. First experience, helped me wash the car. And I said, James, while I'm washing over here, you take the hose, and I want you to have a pistol grip. I just want you to spray that little tire right there and just keep the water right there while I'm over here. So he's there, and I guess he felt the power of that water, you know, coming out of that. And he kind of looked up at me. <laughs> I said, stop that. Stop that stuff. He just kept on. I said, kid, I'm paying for your college. Stop it right now. He just kept on spraying me all over. I'm telling you, it's depravity. He was laughing at me. <laughs> Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline is going to drive it out. Now, I know there are some of you here in this house, watching online even, you just can't imagine your little bundle of joy. 
You're a perfect little kid that's just so awesome ever doing anything wrong, especially when you're not around. And the fact of addressing their dark side, you go, oh, no. I took a little poll. I finished it yesterday afternoon of some of the young adults who have small kids in our small group. But I've been asking for two weeks of young people who are parents of teenagers and kids today. And here's the question I ask. Tell me, what comes more natural to you, love and affection or discipline to your kids? Bar none, over the top, love and affection, far over the top. It comes natural and it's easy. But when you come to my generation and older, it was just the opposite. Discipline was more natural. I mean, my, my mom, my mom, who is uh, 81 years of age, she still tells a story that of her dad on Sunday nights before he and my granny would go out, would line up all the kids, a brother and three sisters, and say this, kids, I know you're going to mess up while I'm gone, so I'm giving every one of you a spanking before we leave. <laughs> they went and got a fig switch, and every one of them got lit up and said, you're going to get twice this much when you get back and I find out you did what I think you're going to do. Woo, fear of God. So I'm talking about this at the gym with one of my, I'm taking a poll with a guy my age. He said, oh yeah, that was my dad too. That was my dad. He said, uh, my dad used to have meetings on Sunday nights with all the kids, with all the family. And we'd line up there and say, kids, your mom and I, we know you got away with some stuff last week. So you're all going to bed early tonight. Because I just know you did something. So you're going to bed early. In fact, this week, I'm going out of town tomorrow morning and I don't get back till Friday. But when I get back, if your mom tells me you did anything out of line, you're going to have to deal with me. And when you deal with me, you know what that means. Yes, sir. I mean, we had the fear of God. I mean, we were just scared to death. And that's just the way it was in that generation. I can remember there were times my dad would just look at me and I would go, okay, you know, discipline. Now, my age, parents and older, they didn't get the love thing right. It was discipline, discipline, thumb, 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 thumb on top. And because of that, there are some of you here, you're, today, you're love-starved. And there are some of you in your psyche, you're still trying to figure out, how do I deal with the fact that I never heard my dad really tell me, I love you, and be affectionate or hold you. And for some of you, that's really caused problems with your marriage and your parenting today. And some of the issues that you have and who you are as a person is because that need never got met. And for some of you, you have a seething resentment against your parents that you've not reconciled. You're still angry and hold resentment to parents who have dead and gone on to be with Jesus because that never got taken care of. And some of you are rebellious. You have a rebellious streak in you where you're just going to be anti-stuff because that was not resolved. And boy, I tell you, I, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I just, I, I wish I could fix that and, and help you w- with that. And um, so it's hard for you, some of you, to do the love thing. But here's what I found out. This younger generation, they're really doing the love thing good. Parents today of teenagers and kids, they got the love thing down. And I want to applaud all the young parents right now in this room who, who, how well you're doing it. I mean, you, you turn birthday parties um, into blockbuster movies. 
Broadway productions. It's on Facebook and everybody's there, all this stuff and everything. You turn kindergarten graduations into parades and floats and everybody's marching and celebrating up and down the neighborhood streets and there's a big old gigantic party and everybody shows up. But I'm not seeing in the current generation, and this concerns me, enough the setting of limits and boundaries. I'm not seeing parents having the hard conversations, the enforcing of the doing of homework, the taking care of chores, the talks about character and about faith. I'm not seeing parents do that. And that's a problem. It's a problem. And I'm thinking that some of you just think that if you just love them enough and you just lavish them with love, that you will never get your hand, have to get your hands dirty with discipline. But that's not true. Folly is bound up in the heart of every child, every child, but the rod of discipline, only the rod of discipline, discipline, discipline will drive it far away. So why? Why is it? Why is it among this younger generation, this current generation of parents and even some grandparents, why do you struggle with the boundaries and limits? Here's the first reason I believe, and all the psychologists agree, it is exhaustion. Exhaustion. Let's put this quote up on the screen by Lawrence Steinberg. I think it will help. I think there'll be an agreement with this by many people. Could you put this on the screen, please? I know that was kind of quick. Exhaustion. Today's parents put in more hours on the job and at the end of a long work week are tempted to buy some peace and quiet with the family rather than risk some kind of family conflict. And discipline always results in conflict, doesn't it? And I think that's true. Because a lot of young parents today, both people are working outside the home. You both feel a calling from God for a vocation. And that's okay. I believe, I believe you should pursue your God callings and pursue God vocations. You should do that. But because of that, you find yourself juggling parenting all the time. And some of you have these mind nerve jangling commutes. And when you get home, you're just. And so you come home and you know you need to do the boundary thing. You know you need to have the hard conversations. You know you need to follow up and help with the homework. You know you need to help. You know you need to lay down at night and tell stories and not fall asleep while you're telling the stories. You know that. You know all these things, and you want to do all these things. But when you get home, it's just easier to pick up a pizza on the way home, turn on the TV, and let the kids go do what they want so you can just rest a little bit because you're exhausted. I don't think parents today are trying to screw up their kids. I just think they're just exhausted. I think that's why you put in movies that are not age-appropriate. I think that's why you let your little dumplings play Fortnite till 2 or 3 in the morning and you don't say a word and care about it. You just kind of say, go play that game. You just give them all this free reign. Because you're just trying to recover. I get it. We had three sons. Both of us worked. Here's what I know. He'll say the obvious. It requires energy to be a good parent. It requires energy to be a good parent. It requires energy. It requires energy to have the boundaries. It requires energy to set the limits. It requires energy. So there are some of you, I want to challenge you to examine your energy management disciplines. That means some of you got to say no to some work opportunities to climb the ladder 
while you have young children at home because they need you to have energy at home. That means some of you got to examine your nutritional health, your sleep habits, staying up all hours of the night, so you have the energy to do discipline well because this is not doing discipline well. Boom, slamming the door. Get in here right now. Grabbing that kid. I am so sick and tired of it. How many times have I told you? Wah, 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 wah. Cuss, cuss, cuss. Yell, yell, yell. Loud, loud, loud. You're going to get it. I'm going to blah, blah, just clouding up. That's not doing discipline well. It's not. And yet, I'm not going to ask for short hands. We've all done it. It takes energy. Energy, when a kid messes up, to sit down, bring him in the room, and just, <sighs> listen, James, I love you, son. We've had this conversation three times already, and I told you, uh, I want you to learn to live within the boundaries of life before something really bad happens to you. And so there's going to be consequences, and here's what they are, and you explain them to them. Here's what it is, okay? And uh, maybe it's not playing Fortnite or whatever for a while, or maybe it's going to the room. Maybe it's a timeout. If it's a little kid, if it's a small kid, it may be just a slap on the wrist. If they're sticking their little fork into the, you know, into the socket, I think that's okay. Listen, it's not going to kill them, okay? They'll get over it, all right? Hey, I will tell you I'm old school. I know I'm old school. I'm getting older school by the day, is that I spanked all three of my sons. And they survived. And they're not scarred. I'm just saying some of you, I'm not purporting beating is not okay. Abuse is not okay. It's not okay. But I think spanking is okay. Some of you just got to get over it and figure it out and knowing the right way to do it in an appropriate way. But it takes energy. It takes energy to sit down and explain. Here's the infraction. Here's why. I love you. I love you too much to let folly just run in your life. And here are the outcomes, and I'm going to be with you, and we're going to get through this thing together. It requires energy. And I'm just asking some of you to figure it out and to get it right, whatever it takes to get it right. Because your kids, you're preparing the next generation and this world. You just got to get it right. I hate to say this about King David, because he was an awesome king, but sometimes he was a sorry parent. In first chapter of Kings, it says that he was a son named Adonijah, and he was so busy being a leader and so busy working all the time, he had this one son he paid no attention to. And he was going to do some scandalous thing. And we're going to put the verse up here on the screen, verse 6, that make this little footnote right here. Can you put that on the screen for me, please? It says, his father, King David of Adonijah, never rebuked him, never, by asking him, why are you behaving the way you do? Why did they dive in upon a parent? who never has the energy to sit down and explain and to ask a kid and have the conversation, why is this going on? Hmm. And I'm just asking. I don't want that to be you and your family. Why, why, that's one reason why your families are so crazy. And here's another reason why I think this happens so often. Oh, I'm watching the time. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Is that um, emotional neediness, emotional neediness of the parent. And that some of you, some of you, have fear of disciplining your child because you're afraid they're going to withhold the love and respect 
you want from your child because some of you want your child's approval. Your self-esteem and self-image is so low that you depend upon your child to make you feel better about yourself. And can I tell you something? Your kids know that. And so when they come out and say, I hate you, I'm never going to talk to you again, blah, 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 and they march off and close the door of their room, they're going, Because some of you, oh, no, my kid hates me. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. We're going to be okay, blah, 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 blah. And kids going, yeah, baby. Kids are cons. <laughs> and they're good at it. And they play you like a violin, parents. You play right into their hands. Because you want to be your kid's friend. They don't need you to be their friend. Let kids be their friends. You be the parent. And I know that discipline's hard. The Scripture says it's hard. The Scripture says it. Hebrews 12, 11, it says, no discipline is easy. None of it's easy. It's hard. But there's a, path, there's a fruit of righteousness when you do it. And... Uh, all three of our sons were different, but Jacob was our real challenging son. He, he was the one who drove me crazy and could send me over the edge to do things I'd be embarrassed about for you to see. You know, I'm just saying, he, he was the one that could do that. The other two had their challenge, but Jacob. And so I would really have to clamp down on him. I mean, really clamp down on him. But so many times after I really clamped down on him, he would come and climb up into my lap and put his arms around my neck, and he would say, I love you, Dad. I'll never forget those moments. And it was after discipline. And he's really, you know what he's saying? He's saying, Dad, I know I need structure. I know, Dad, I'm going to mess up. I, kids down deep, they want the structure and the limits. Even teenagers, parents, they're begging you to be the parent. They're begging you. And one day they'll say thank you. My dad never would let me mouth off to a teacher ever. Are you listening, parents? Never let your kid mouth off to a teacher or someone in authority ever. My dad would never let me disrespect my mom ever. He would never let me tell a joke of, about color or race and think it's funny or lighthearted ever. He would never let me quit something because it was hard ever. He would never let me make excuses for not getting my homework done and not getting it into school and turning it on on time ever. He would never let me just mismanage my allowance and give me a whole lot more money, ever, because he wanted me to learn. My dad was not perfect. But to this day, there are standards I try to achieve that my dad tried to teach me and boundaries and limits, and I'm just asking you, what are you doing about that? I don't have time to teach the third point. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go online this week, and I will do it online, this third point. It's about two minutes, but I will do it online, okay, because I'm aware of the time. And, and, and we'll do that there, okay? Uh, have, you, have you, anybody been helped a little bit this morning at all? Anybody, anybody been helped a little bit? Uh, I will tell you, our, our kids are not perfect. Uh, they're not perfect. But uh, they're doing okay in life. Those grown young men are. Tell you what, I'm going to have you stand. I want to pray over you. I want to have you stand. I want to pray over you.
And before I pray over you, I want to challenge you before I let you out of here. Here's the challenge. And every time I give this challenge, I get hate mail. <laughs> and so I know it's coming. I will read it. Just go send your hate. I will read it. I'll read your love too, once you know, but uh, I'll read your hate mail. And I'll save it and read it multiple times sometimes. And here's the challenge. My challenge is for you to make Christ the center of your family for the next six weeks by not missing a single weekend of being in worship for six weeks. For six weeks. Try it for six weeks. I know this parenting thing, grandparenting thing, you're doing it by yourself and you got people around you that's trying to help your friends and grandparents, but your church wants to partner with you to help you be the best you can be for your kids, for Christ to be in the center. We got an awesome family ministry team. Teenage, work with teenagers all the way down to the little ones. I mean, they're awesome. They work all week long to pour Christ into your kids. On Wednesday, Sunday morning, all week long, they cry and pray over your kids. I went and asked them this past week, if I could say something to the body, what would you like for them to say? Here's what they told me. Would you please look at them and tell them? Uh, we can't help them with their kids unless their kids are here. You know, we were about to teach this little four-year-old. He was learning how to pray, and he was gone for three weeks, and he came back and said, where were you? Oh, Mom and Dad, they didn't want to come. Eighth grader. Difficult decisions in dating, figuring out what sex is, all that sort of stuff, and how faith impacts it. And yet you as a parent don't say, you're going to youth. And I'm going, really? Hmm. That's up to you. But uh, I want to challenge you. And I really want to challenge the men. Men, you have an opportunity here, men, to make the change, the whole legacy of your family tree. Let me ask you, men, do your kids see you reading your Bible at home? Do your kids see you, you, with your Bible open, do they see you doing it? Do they? Do your grandkids. My granddaughter, uh, I think I got a little photo here. Of her. I don't know if I can put it up on the screen or not while she's walking out of here, but uh, sometimes I look at her and I think, if it was up to me, will she come to know Christ? Because my first memory of my grandmother is my grandmother reading the Bible to me when I go to her house. Grandparents, is it just playtime only? Or are you thinking about bigger picture things? But men, when it comes to the weekend, when it comes time to worship, you be the one to say, family, we're going to church. When men do it, because when you stay home, guess what, guy? But your kids say, why should I go? Dad's not going. That's just a fact. And boy, when Christ gets to be the center, whew, there's no telling how your crazy family may not be so crazy after all. So, God, we thank you for your grace. I pray your blessing upon all these who have assembled here on this day online, True Worth, here, all these crazy families, God, with all the junk and stuff that we have in our family tree. And some of us, God, have some healing from things years ago. And we pray you work in the midst of all of it, God. You be at the center. Be at the center of it all. Teach us. 
teach us and help us to practice this irrational love and discipline in our homes for the sake of the next generation and the next and the next and the next. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Look online for that third point. We'll see you next week. Bye.